Now, today I am joined by the fabulous lady Fiona Wright. Uh, now, Fiona is a coach, speaker, and a performance poet, and I'd, you, you should really listen to some of her poetry. It's amazing. Now, Fiona has the unenviable situation of having her third iteration of cancer, and yet she glows through all of it. So for today, I'd like to invite Fiona to explore with us the different mindsets and the different um, thought processes that she's had through each experience. So welcome, Fiona. Oh, hi, Maureen. Thank you so much. It's really such an honor, really, to be part of this, this amazing program that you're putting together. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit like, where do I start? Um, I suppose the, my, my, first, my first diagnosis of cancer was almost, pretty much 15 years ago now. And life was very, very different then. Um, and my understanding of, well, of cancer and of cancer treatments and, and of a state of mind um, was all very, very different. And, and I was pretty young too. So I think in it, from that point of view, um, and not knowing anything about cancer and, and not really having anyone in the family, my grandfather did die of stomach cancer, but it was all very, very sudden. So we, and at the time I was only 11, so I didn't really learn anything about cancer. It was just like one minute he was there, next minute he was gone. Um, but um, so the first time held quite a lot of fear for me. I guess. And um, it was, yeah, I, I kind of just did what I was told to do because I didn't know what else there was to do. And, um, you know, I, I laid down all my, my best hopes, pinned all my best hopes on, on the NHS coming through with a solution because that's kind of what we're given to believe is, is, is the way of, you know, way of dealing with a problem kind of thing. And, um, but uh, that said, I still went ahead and looked at, you know, I was still concerned about what the side effects of the treatment were and, and went ahead and took my own action in terms of keeping myself as healthy as possible, mainly through diet, because that's always been really important to me anyway. And it seemed at the time very unfair because I felt like, gosh, I eat enough broccoli to keep cancer off of three people, let alone one. So it really didn't seem very fair because, you know, it's my fam there's no big history of cancer in my family. Um, and, it, you know, it was, it was like a bit of sort of, why me, you know? And it didn't make any sense. I was very young. Um, and I guess, like I say, I just, I just did everything that they told me to do. And having done that... I never expected it to come back. You know, there was, there was, okay, fine. I'm through it now. And it, and it, and it's like, we're done and dusted with this one. Thank you. Um, but that's not what happened for me. Um, and what I, what I would add at this point was that I, at the end of my treatment, and I think it's much more recognized now that people, um, do sometimes suffer psychologically after all the treatment is over because I, I, and my own, my best way of describing this is that the, um, when you're going through it, you're actually in this, in this place of dealing with what you have to deal with because it's right in your face. And, and then 
when you get to that point where you're, you've gone through all the treatment and all the regular appointments are over, suddenly you're out there on a limb and you feel very isolated. You're on your own. It's like there's not the regular conversations with people about how you are and are you doing and and there's a kind of you know no one really wants to talk about it and that's fully understandable um but it doesn't mean we're all okay the minute we've got through all of the treatment and mm. i think i i had a big dip a really big dip after the end of my chemotherapy and radiotherapy the first time and i didn't really understand what was going on at that point and i guess what i did know was that there'd been points in my life prior to that that had been very low. Um, and I guess that's around the time when I was sort of first, first diagnosed with depression. Um, but it wasn't necessarily, and, and it's interesting that I have subsequently said that sometimes the depression is worse than the cancer. Mm. Now I'm not meaning to demean cancer in any single way, um, but actually the ongoing depression, feeling of depression and being low and isolated and all of that in, in many ways. I suppose it's because you're always dealing with it on your own or it feels like you're always dealing with it on your own. Whereas with the cancer thing, you've got that regularity of oh, there's another appointment and you've got to go and see this specialist and that specialist. And it somehow feels like there's a bit of a team around you. So, um, and I think support networks are extremely important because of that, extremely important. Um, when I got the second diagnosis, I mean, I didn't stop my research after the first diagnosis. I carried on because there's many things, that, you know, I quite often use this bit of a story that when you're, everyone kind of knows that chemotherapy makes your hair fall out. Well, strictly that's not 100% true. Some chemotherapies make your hair fall out, not all. But that's the first thing people tend to think of. But there are actually lots of other side effects that people don't, that the general public is not so aware of, like the dreadful fatigue um, about, the, you know, the change to the fact that you taste things differently, you smell things differently. And, and also that actually it can totally ruin your fertility. And for me, that was one of the big drivers behind looking after my body to the best of my ability at the time was because I wanted to preserve this fertility. And nowadays, hospitals seem much more willing to allow women who've got estrogen-dominant um, cancers, which I did have, um, and to, to go ahead and, 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 and have, you know, have some... Um, IVF type treatment to freeze eggs and things but I wasn't allowed to do that and I think there is differences between hospitals that's my my what I kind of pick up nowadays but I think it also depend. I think it was also possibly relevant to the the time because we were talking 15 years ago yeah um, and so for me that was very much around around um, looking looking at how I preserve my fertility in, to the optimum. So that's why I went down the diet route and started the supplementation route and the, and the more holistic therapy route on top of all the standard, standard route. But what I come across um, going, going down that holistic, more holistic side, I came across a lot of, you know, negative press for, for, for chemotherapy really. And I, 
I really felt that, you know, when I had the second diagnosis, yes, it was really shocking. But again, what I noticed, and this, I mean, at the time, I probably couldn't have articulated it like this because I hadn't met the principles or non-duality or anything like that at this time. Um, but what I, what I see now is it's that, it's that fundamental, what we might like to call resilience that we all have, that fundamental ability to carry on no matter what, despite what's going on, how bad it looks, all the rest of it. Um, because, I mean, I can remember the, the person who came with me to the, the um, appointment when the surgeon gave me the diagnosis from, from the biopsy results and, and confirmed it was cancer a second time, was really shocked at how coolly and calmly I handled the next part of the conversation because I, I simply had questions and I wanted to know the answers and the implications and okay what so what's your treatment plan what's this what's your idea and I was really quite functional about it you know and and wasn't wasn't I mean obviously I was upset but I wasn't upset in a big emotional teary way I was very I I really um you know I functioned very well in the moment and, and, and I think that's what we understand now is that that kind of innate resilience, I guess. Um, and I made some very different decisions the second time. I actually chose not to do chemotherapy. And that seems like a big thing. Um, and it's not a decision to be taken lightly by anyone. And I wouldn't recommend, you know, I absolutely would say to people, if you're going to make a decision, it has to be the right decision for you and you need to do your research and you need to be comfortable with it because, and I'm afraid, I very much believe this, that, that actually NHS, whoever, they don't have the answers and we never know what's going to show up. So the best place to be making a decision from is somewhere that you feel it's right for you. And, and that was what was right for me at the time. Now, People have said to me, oh, do you, you know, do you think you made the wrong decision now? And, and actually, no, I don't. It was right for me in that moment that I, I just didn't want to do chemotherapy. It didn't make sense to me to do chemotherapy in that, at that time. Um, and, yeah, and, and to be honest, even this time, I was adamant right to the last minute that I wasn't going to do chemotherapy. But for various reasons, I decided I would give it a shot at least um and in fact i did do the whole whole course of it this time which still surprises me a bit actually but there we are you see you make these decisions in the moment they have to be the best decision for you in the moment um but i guess i'm trying to think back now whether i had a, any um <coughs> I don't think the second time I had as much fear going on, but perhaps that was because I felt more like I knew what I was dealing with. Sure. Um, and I also knew that I didn't have to just take for granted what the medical profession were telling me. I could ask questions and I felt more, I guess I had, I felt more, um, more able to ask, ask questions and, and, and to demand answers to things as opposed to, oh, you just got to do everything they throw at you. 
kind of thing. Uh, and I challenged them too, because, you know, they did say to me back in 2004 that, you know, we could be heavily over-medicating you here, but you're young and, and, you know, we don't want it to come back and this is an insurance policy, you know. And I went back and I said, well, hey, look, your insurance policy didn't kind of work, did it? So what, you know, maybe you can't 100% guarantee me this time it's not going to come back. Uh, they didn't want to accept that at the time, I have to say, but there we are. Um, I don't think I'm that bloody minded that I had to prove them wrong. <laughs> but, you know, I think it is just that we just don't know. We just don't know. Um, but I did, again, I did actually experience the same. I don't know. I had a very tough time, actually, through the second one. I mean, I had a very big operation, um, a nine-hour operation, and it took a lot of recovering from. Mm. Um, and I had other things going on in my life around my uh, job because I'd literally just got a new job and, and I got the diagnosis by pretty much two days before I left the old job and, and going into the new job it was and I'd negotiated a couple of weeks off in between the two so I did have a bit of a I did have a bit of a break anyway it wasn't like I was leaving one on th Thursday and going in on Monday morning but um it was a massive shock and I got myself into this huge tailspin of I was going to lose this job and actually the, the the amount of freaking out that I did around the losing the potential of losing the job almost covered the the um the, almost covered the, the experience of cancer in, in many ways I guess it, it didn't it didn't at first because obviously you know I had to potentially had to do something and, and there were decisions to be made because it was you know having a reconstruction using other parts other body parts is is a big deal and you have to make some big decisions about which bits you're happy to move and not um and, you know, and then far more risks as well, far more risks involved with the complications and things. Um, but once I'd, and I, and I, and I took a month or so to make those decisions. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't, um, yeah, it's kind of, I, I just remember taking it one step at a time. So it was a bit like, okay, the first step has to be the, what decisions we make around the, the, surgery itself and then it was only after I'd you know recovered sufficiently from the surgery to be starting thinking about any hormone related therapy or chemotherapy that I could make a decision about those um and it, it yeah it took it took time and I I did have I gave some a lot of consideration to, to what surgery I did and but I was still, by the time I got over the, the, well, the biggest part of the hurdle of the surgery, i.e. the re, you know, main recovery bits, being well enough to attempt any chemo, and there was a much longer rehabilitation process. Um, but um, that going, in, going into chemo, uh, um, I still decided I didn't want the aggressive chemo. What I did do was accept the Herceptin, which is a less aggressive form of chemotherapy. Okay. It's not technically a, a, a chemotherapy in the same sense because it, 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 I mean, it does have side effects and some of those aren't too nice, but um, it's not as aggressive as what everyone um, understands conventional chemotherapy to be. 
But it's often, and it was delivered intravenously in the same way. I had to go to the chemo suite to have it, and I had it for a year afterwards. So I did that one just on its own. So I didn't, I didn't say no to everything. I, I said yes to the drug, which I hadn't had the first time, and which has, um, uh, is, is held up to be very efficacious. So I, I wanted that, but I didn't want the other really aggressive stuff. And, and I also did the hormone therapy um for for two years not as long as they wanted me to because again i was obviously i was older by this stage and and the the chance of losing fertility was becoming higher so um i i did what i felt was right for me again um and again i think i experienced a dip afterwards after that main part of the treatment when i'd been when i was no longer going in regularly to see see somebody Mm. um was it as big a dip this time? I don't think it was, but I have. But to be honest, I still at that point hadn't. Although I had moved on in my life, and I had started a personal development journey, although not yet come across the principles or or Sid Banks or non-duality. It, um, but it was. Um, I don't think it was quite as bad. Mainly, probably because I was more settled in myself. Um, I don't, yeah, I, and, you know, and I, I learned things from my first experience um, and I felt that I had perhaps felt I had a bit more support around me than I did the first time as well. Sure. Because people had, you know, people would rallied around a bit having understood what I'd gone through or at least, you know, seen what I'd gone through previously. Um, and yeah, but the, then I had a shorter gap between the second occurrence and the third which again they said they thought was a recurrence as opposed to a new cancer. Um, but with that one, it was, that was, yeah, quite interesting. I mean, how many years was there a gap between? It was, uh, it was eight years the first time and six years the second time. And um, yeah, it was, it was, I knew I had a lump at least a year before I was diagnosed and I'd had it scanned and they told me they thought it was scar tissue. Um, but it kept growing, which is why I went back. And um, so I suppose in the back of my mind, there was, poten- there was a potential that it could be something else, particularly when I noticed it was growing. Um, but um, it's a kind of, the third time, you know, when I had a much better understanding of where my experience came from and how much more resilient I am um, than I'd previously thought I was, um, I kind of had a, you know, like, well, hell, you know, I've done this twice, I can do it a third time. There was a, just a bit of a different attitude to it. Um, and, and like, you know, I'm no less... I'm no less um, determined that I'm, you know, going to let it beat me this time than I was the previous times, you know. I intend to live a long time. I intend to live as long yet. And, and that may not happen. And I'm much, you know, I, I'm realistic about that. Um, and, and I think I've come to understand, really, that... Um, uh, on a kind of more 
what's the word I want to use on a more um, on a sort of deeper spiritual acceptance level I've come to understand that um, you know we don't know how long we've got and it's kind of it seems you know everyone would agree with that none of us do um, but um, whether we're actually comfortable with that or not, or not is another matter and I think I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm on that kind of deep emotional spiritual level I know that I don't know how long I've got and I'm okay with that um, so I think yeah I mean I again this time I like I said I wasn't I wasn't planning to do the chemotherapy and and in fact I wasn't even planning to do the surgery this time because I was kind of like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with all you, you know, pharmaceuticals, pills, done with all of that. Um, you know, I'm going to do it my way this time. And, um, and I did my research. I did a lot of homework about other ways of getting rid of a tumor. And, um, and you know, I'd, I'd, I'd spoken to someone who, who has helped women get rid of similar tumors um, using a herb um, what swung me in the end was the fact that they discovered a, a, a thickened lymph node which they wanted to remove and it didn't look like it was going to be quite so easy to remove that using this herb and I thought well if I've got to do surgery for one part of it I might as well do surgery for both bits so um, that sort of swung that in the end but I, I really I didn't make the decision about the chemo until until the last, a last moment, literally, literally last moment. I did. I mean, there was a degree of negotiation that went on because I didn't, I didn't had, didn't actually do the chemo they originally recommended. Okay. Um, partly because I wasn't going to do it, basically, um, and um, they. They, they, they agreed to give me a different form, which is taken in capsules rather than intravenously. My, my veins are very, 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 very difficult to cannulate or get blood out of. So, you know, that, the sort of trauma of going through all of that every, every week, because the drug they were going to give me was like every week, was, was, you know, a lot. Not to be sniffled at, basically. No, at so all. the idea that I could have a pill that I could just swallow looked much easier. Um, and... Or, or coincidentally, you know, not swallow had if I'd chosen not to do it. So that was a whole lot more easy, you know, a whole lot easier decision to make than, than having a cannula inserted every single week, which could well have become impossible, actually, physically impossible. Um, so where are you at with the treatment now then? So uh, now I've, I've, I've just recently finished doing the aggressive part of the chemo. And I am doing, again, doing the Herceptin for the rest of the year, um, which actually this time I'm having more, more side effects for that, which is a bit surprising, but there we are. Um, they're currently giving me more pills, which, which actually don't agree. The side effects of those pills don't agree with me very well. So yeah. I'm trying to minimize the need to have the, the, the side effect pills um, because they have a whole, mm. a whole bunch of their own side effects, which really don't agree with me. Um, 
but I kind of, I am not in a space of having an argument with it anymore. I'm very, very at peace with the, you know, I've made the decisions I've made for the reasons I've made them. And I'm not trying to second guess what might happen in the future. And I'm literally living in this moment with it. And, and that, that also means that I might change my mind about some things as well. Like at this point, they, they, they want me to start taking the hormone therapy again now. And there are a whole bunch of side effects with this particular hormone therapy that I haven't actually had before because sadly I have lost my fertility now. Um, and so different drugs are, are more appropriate now. And, um, and that, that was a whole emotional ball game in itself, all that. I'm sure. I'm sure. But, um, yes, it, it's, I still haven't quite, I mean, I've got the pills. I just haven't quite taken one yet. You know, so it's so like, maybe one day it'll occur to me, yeah, you are going to do this. and I'll just start taking them. But uh, at the moment, that day hasn't come. But I've got them. Um, and, but I'm not in a position of thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm not riling against it. I'm open to it. It just hasn't shown up for me today yet. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, they're telling me there's evidence that it helps the septum work better. So there's a good chance I would do it for a period. I may not do it. They want me to do it for the rest of my life. Now that is asking too much right now. <laughs> but, you know, given that we have life in one day at a time, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm I'm open to making that decision. And if, if I take it for six months and it no longer makes sense to me, fine, I'll stop. Yeah. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I love the uh, sense of peace and, and uh, the lack of uh, forcing yourself to, to do anything. Mm. That, that one day at a time thing, which um, lots of us would love to be in that space more often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet we ebb and flow for, in and out of it. But right now, you just seem like, yeah, this is just where I'm at. And today it's a good idea not to take it. And tomorrow it might be a different idea altogether. And that, I think, is amazing. That that kind of being completely free and open to having that, that concept. I also loved what you were saying earlier about just not, when, particularly transition or the, the differences between the, the first instance and the second, where you felt more able to question, to uh, get the answers to the questions that you had and not just uh, going, going to their plan of accepting everything that they said, which is what had, what had occurred in the first uh, instance. And what, I, what I encourage any ladies and gents who, who are uh, listening to this and who may want to work with either you or I in the future is never be afraid to ask questions. This is your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, do and, not, and do not, do yeah. not. Yeah. I don't think they mind actually. I think, you know, their job is to, is to answer your questions. Yeah. And it, it might feel like sometimes you're challenging them, but well, I still see that as that, you know, some, and sometimes I, I actually think the NHS does need challenging on some things. You know, they're, they're woefully um, ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant in a pretty, really horrible way. I mean, in, in that they, I don't think of that. I 
lots of people don't feel that they take on sufficient acknowledgement of how what a difference you can make with diet and and i think it's time that they they did that a bit more you know and if but if nobody ever says to some that you know i would like to think maybe i'm being unrealistic here but i would like to think that when i when i take some piece of research and show it to my nurse or my surgeon that they would take enough interest sometimes at least to go and do a bit of research or at least read it themselves because you know I wouldn't want to think that they were so blinkered that they wouldn't do that. Mm. So I'm never going to stop waving things that I think are relevant in front of them. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that, yeah. that's just not going to happen. Um, and, and I think that that's, it's another one of these positive messages that, that um, I hope my listeners take on board is that you have as right, you have as much right to share your understanding and experience and to demonstrate other opportunities or other options to uh, those in the medical fraternity as much as they have to share their knowledge with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think actually what I am, I mean, we were talking about the, the, the degree of, of, of sort of fear in that. Um, certainly I had when I look back now at the second time, I had so much fear around losing my job where I was constantly worrying about the future. And that didn't, that wasn't supporting me. I mean, obviously I didn't know this at the time, but that wouldn't have been supporting me in getting well in the present day. And, and, and yet this time there's, there's not really been any of that at all. I'm not, it's like, I don't even look at the next day, you know, I'm I'm not working now, but I'm not worrying about when I go back to work. It's like, it'll happen when it happens. And if for some reason they turn around and say, hey, we don't want you back anymore because you've been away too long. I'm, I'm not asking the universe to throw this as my way. But, you know, it's, I'll deal with it on the day. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need to worry about that decision today. The only thing I need to worry about today is what's going on today. Yeah. And, and that's really powerful to know that. And, I, and I, I clearly didn't know that when I had the second, when I had the first recurrence the second time round. And so it, it's, it's, a, it's a great, um, great value to me to know that I only need to worry about today. Yeah. That's and a really, think, really um, powerful message, Fiona. I hope that mm. the listeners take that on board. A ph- phenomenally powerful message about... Yeah living in the moment and only being concerned if you need to be concerned at all about what's happening today. Because you have no way of knowing what's going to happen tomorrow and yesterday's yesterday's already done. So you Mm -hmm. only have today. Yeah. And that's not to mean that we totally ignore the fact that we expect there to be a tomorrow. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, I, I just earlier today had a conversation with my financial advisor because you know, there are things I want, I would like to put in place for my future, hopefully my future, not necessarily just somebody else's. But, you know, it's, um, we don't ignore the fact that we're expecting there to be a future. It's just that we, we just deal with the, the issues and the things that we need to deal with today, yeah. on today, mm. today's issues today, rather than getting too wound up with what's happening in the future and that doesn't mean I have to put my hand up here that does not mean I never worry about the future because I do I'm human 
you know there are days when i am in a tizzles about it and um and things don't look so clear absolutely you know i am no i'm i'm no <laughs> i'm no figure of perfection here um you know there are days when things get look decidedly dicey but I guess what I've learned is that I don't need to take that feeling so seriously and that I have this general understanding that it will pass at some point and I don't know how long it's going to last. That's not actually in my control. Sometimes it occurs to me to try and do something about it. Actually, whether, I, whether that occurs to me or not is, almost, is irrelevant also because, again, I can try to do something about it and I can make it worse because I'm focusing on it. Or I can try and do something about it and actually make it better because it passes quicker. Mm. Um, you know, like sometimes it just occurs to me to call my mum and chat to my mum because the mood I'm in is not where I want to be and I need to be somewhere else, you know, in an hour or so's time. So, you know, if I have a conversation with my mum, it distracts me enough to let me be somewhere else later. Yeah. Or maybe it wouldn't because it might not. There's but no actually... Idea. Yeah, it's just, just a matter of doing what feels right in the moment. Absolutely. And it's about going with the ebb and flow of life. And, mm. and if you get caught out with your thinking, you get caught out with your thinking. That's just what's occurring for you in the moment. And then, but it's not about trying to fix it or do anything about it. It's just about recognizing that's just where you are. And if you're in a funk, you're in a funk. And if you're up, mm. you're up. And it being okay with that complete ebb and flow, a bit like the, the waves of the ocean or the, watching the, uh, the clouds in the sky, they kind of come and go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's, 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 it's a great value to know that and to not need to worry about when the dark cloud is going to pass. Mm. Just be in the knowledge that it will at some point. And... And, you know, and if it doesn't for longer than we would like, then being kind of okay with that too. Um, it, it, it's, it's very powerful to, to be in that space. And it's not comfortable. No, and, you know, I'm sure you, you would agree. It's not, you know, you, we're, not, we're not saying here that it's comfortable. It's not, but it, I'm okay with being un uncomfortable now. Yeah. It's not in my control either way. So... The, the more I struggle against it, the more I struggle against being uncomfortable or the circumstances being as they are, I just generally would end up with more discomfort. Mm. And, and that's not where I want to be. So I'll just leave it alone. Absolutely. I was also, um, I'd like to pick up on the point that you've made around what happens when the treatment finishes. And, mm. so, and, and I've heard a number of people say this now. Um, both on previous recordings, but also elsewhere, around that that sense that the um, the protection mechanism disappears. So mm. you've 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 been through your surgery, you've been through chemo or radiotherapy or both, uh, you've been through the various appointments that follow, and then almost like you fall off a cliff. Because, because you're, you're outside of the cotton wool kind of covered bubble that they've kept you in. Because up until that point, you've been really important because you're turning up to appointments, you're doing this, they're looking after you with this, that and the other. And then all of a sudden, nothing. 
And mm. one, one image that came to my mind was almost like you've been put onto a, a boat and you've been cast adrift. And it's up to you to discover the fact that you still have the oars, that you still have the wherewithal within you to get yourself back to shore. Mm. But we don't always realize that. And it's when you have been cast adrift. Or maybe people, nobody taught us how to, how to actually use the oars. Precisely. And, it, and it's about understanding that, that um, some people will, 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 will um, be able to get themselves back to shore um, more smoothly, faster, easier than others. Mm. And, and yeah, I just find that that whole process, it's almost as though there's a missing piece in the whole um, let's do our level best to look after cancer, cancer patients. So that they, they, they spend so much energy and time in focusing on the let's get them through the treatment, let's um, do our level best to make sure that w- what we're doing means that they don't come back with a recurrence. And yet, they don't look after the minds, the, the, the kind of somebody's mindset once they've been once the, the whole treatment and process are finished. Mm. Um, I find that completely, well, it's, it's, it, it's, it's in, interesting to me as, as a coach and, and somebody who works with people with mindset around cancer, but it's also in, intriguing to me that, that that piece hasn't been picked up. Yes, I, I think, I mean, that's partly why I started running one, one of my workshops for a cancer support charity, because I felt there was, there was something, you know, with, with this understanding, I have something very important to add for people who are maybe beginning to tap more into those cancer support charities or going back to them saying, help, you know, actually, I'm in this position now. I don't have these regular appointments. And, and what else is there? And... Um, because you know you get offered a, cu- a certain number of counselling sessions or whatever, but that's that's about that's about it. So I started running my my from worry to wisdom workshop with with a cancer support charity, and will be actively pursuing doing that with others as soon as they deem I'm well enough. I know I'm well enough. <laughs> they don't. They don't seem. They they want me to be X number of years past treatment, which is deeply frustrating to me, because I know that I've been. That you know, I've never been so so mentally rock solid, to be honest. And 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 I I a hundred percent I'm not expecting to have that that the dip this time. Because I actually feel like, you know, so I feel like you know I, I just won't ever be depressed again because I kind of understand how it works. Yeah. And and so yeah, I think I think there's. There's, I think there's a space to acknowledge that some people need more support than others for a longer period of time. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will need it. I think there just needs to be an openness that some people might. Yeah. And, and I also, you don't, you're not guaranteed, just because you handled it one time doesn't mean you're going to handle it the next time because it's a different moment. And, and, I, I mean, I, it looks to me at the moment that because I'd been through it once or even twice that I was able to understand and deal with the third time more easily. But that might not have been true. 
because I could have got three times as freaked out about it and, mm. and totally convinced myself that three times is like three knocks and you're out, you know? But that's not how I took it. But that's not to say that someone else will be of the same mind. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, and I think that's, that's something as well that, that, that the system needs to be aware of. That, yeah. you know, some people suffer more than others. And it's different at different times, different moments. Because yeah. it's all about the, the one moment that we're in right now. Um, and, and that for me is, you know, I'm, I am always happy if anybody wants to, you know, send me a message, get in touch with me. I'm always happy to be there to support, to talk, to talk through things because I, I just, it's who I am, you know, it's uh, supporting others is who I am. I go to the chemo suite and I sit with other people while I'm sitting waiting around for my drugs and all the rest of it. I sit with other people and talk to them. Um, and yeah I've made some lovely friends there and, and and it's deeply deeply saddening to sit there with people who who tell me it's not working and, and they haven't got any other ideas mm. and then know that there is other stuff out there that, that the NHS at the moment doesn't have an open mind to sure that's 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 quite but you know I don't feel that um I mean, this is one of this is my argument anyway with with the organisations that won't let me run my workshop now, is that you know I've got something here who could support people, but you're telling me that I'm not emotionally stable enough right now to do it, whereas I absolutely know that I am mm. because if I wasn't, then you shouldn't be letting me talk to other people in the chemo suite, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a bit um, yeah, close mind around it. So, Fiona, you've got a massive story to share around other aspects about cancer and other aspects. Um, so we'll be inviting you back if you'll be, be uh, willing to I'd do so. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, for, for now, then, um, if somebody wants to have a conversation with you or make contact with you, what's the best way of them to do that? The best way is either to uh, find me on Facebook um, and message me that way or um, message me via my email address through my my website at the at present doesn't have any website i mean i've got okay. the domain but it doesn't doesn't have a website but if you if you message me at fiona at fiona j right w-r-i-g-h-t so it's fiona j w-r-i-g-h-t dot com then you will get me by email or you can connect with me via facebook fantastic so i look forward to speaking to you the next time in the meantime it's been a my privilege to speak to you today and thank you for sharing your experience and your understanding and your insights this time today um so for listeners um the next episode will be coming up very shortly and in the meantime if you have any questions drop me a note at maureen at maureenyork.com and i look forward to speaking with you very soon bye for now thanks for having me five